Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. Please join with me. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look at the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, and complain of this? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be Our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 12, verses 22, or sorry, chapter um, 12, verses 13 through 34. Um, Hear the word of our Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour of span of life? If you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where there is no thief that approaches nor moth destroys. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The anxiety of worry or the calm of faith, question mark, which will it be? The passage before us this morning from the verses 22 to 34 is inextricably entwined, inextricably linked to the parable which precedes it. We looked at that parable Last week, I shall not re-preach that message, but I will remind you that the summary of that message said that Jesus transforms the greed of our lives into generosity. He transforms greed in our lives to generosity. That's what happens. It's a transformation that takes place. And it's a transformation that we fight. Now, perhaps you say, well, John, I I don't think of myself as being a person that needs to talk about greed. I'm, I'm not a greedy person. Well, you need to know first that in 50 years of ministry, I've never had one single person come to me and say, John, I have a problem with greed. Not one. I've had them come with all kinds of problems, but not with greed. And I must tell you that before I started dealing with Jesus and the Gospels, I didn't think of myself that way. Secondly, I would tell you that if you think you don't have a problem with greed, just go back and listen to last week's message. Uh, we ask five questions. Do you want to know if you're greedy or have a problem with greed? Ask yourself the first question, what is my life about? Greed misinterprets the meaning of life. Jesus said that in the passage last week, and he echoed it again in in the passage that's before us this morning. Second question, is my life marked by a constant Contentment. Greed always wants more. This man had and had and had and had. He was wealthy beyond imagination, but he still wanted more. Greed is never satisfied. Third question. Is everything always about me? Greed is self-centered. Fourth question. Is my life about my pleasure? Greed is also self-indulgent. And lastly, and this is huge, is my life marked by generosity? We could preach on that. I could preach on that for the next two months easily. Greed is marked by getting, not by giving. Let me ask you a question. Get to the bottom line. With the people that know you best, if they were had three words to sum up your life, the people that know you best, would generosity be one of them? 
And you say, well, John, people have different gifts and different. We're not talking about gifts. We're not talking about talents. We're talking about Christ-like character. The church of Jesus Christ should be marked by extreme generosity. Christ Presbyterian should be marked by extreme generosity. Our individual lives should be marked by extreme generosity. That's what this passage says. So, in our relationship with Jesus, his word forces these questions to us. When he invades our lives, I can tell you, he will keep coming back with these questions. What's your life about? So then, how is it that I move? My question for me then is, how is it that I move from the natural inclination to have my for myself, the natural inclination of greed, how do I move from that to the godly practice of generosity? You'd be glad to know that the message this morning only has two points. Jesus answers that question. Uh, he gives two answers. Actually, he gives more than two answers. He gives about four or five answers. We're only going to look at two answers this morning. He gives two answers. How do I move from the inclination to greed to the godly practice of generosity? The first answer is this. Jesus says to us this morning, he says to me, and he says to you, stop and think about. You want to make that move? You want to grow in generosity? Stop and think about God's provision. It is God who provides. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But God, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith. First, in talking about greed, in moving to generosity, he says, consider, think. This is a point where theology really, really matters. I have prayed and will continue to pray that every individual member of Christ Presbyterian will be something of a theologian. And that's what Jesus is saying here. What you think counts. It matters. The Greek word there means focus your attention on. Think about what's he want us to consider. The ravens. The ravens. Consider. Think about the ravens. And he says God feeds them. God provides for them. And then he uses the word consider again. A second time down in verse 27. Then what do they consider? What are we supposed to consider? The lilies. 
Consider the lilies. I bet you this morning didn't think that you would hear a message like this, that you wouldn't have from the pulpit hear Jesus say to you, you know, you need to consider the ravens. You need to consider the lilies. That that's exactly what Jesus does. God clothes the lilies and the fields in a beauty that's greater than the glory of even Solomon's great wealth. What was he saying? It is God who provides. Now, we come to that doctrine when we come upon hard times. We say, God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. When we're hurting, when it really gets dark in our lives, we come to this. It's God who provides. Well, what Jesus is saying here, it's not just about the dark times. It's all the time. There was a father and we've all done this as fathers, as mothers. We go swimming. We take our, our children. And he was in the pool with a three-year-old. And the three-year-old thought that was really cool. And the father would splash water up on him. And, but the three-year-old was not, he was not in the water himself. He was just being held. And the father began to walk out. The water began to creep up. And the son looked at his father like, what's going on? And he got all the way up to where the water was right at the, the, the child's neck. And that child was hanging on for dear life to his father. Scared to death. We laugh about that. We would have looked at that and just been amused. That child did not understand. If, if his father were not holding him, even when the water was not even on his toes, if the father dropped him in that water, that child would drown. You will drown. And that's a picture for all of us. It's not just when the water's up to here that God provides. It's when everything is copacetic. It's every day of our lives. Jesus said, you must learn this. The lilies, look at them. It's not just that I, I cause them to stand through the storm. It's not only that I take care of the ravens during the storm. They don't live. They don't have that beauty unless I give it to them. In between the ravens and the lilies, he says, consider the ravens, consider the lilies. He says something else that's crucial. He reminds them that they are like the ravens and the lilies. Look at verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
If you then are not able to do this very small thing, why are you anxious about the rest? What was he saying? He was saying, you're as dependent on my provision as the ravens and the lilies. Jesus is saying to us, here is my transforming answer to your greed. Stop. And think about how you really don't have anything unless I give it to you. The greedy rich man last week building the barns did not understand that everything he had came from God. He thought he was a self-made man. Those were his barns. Remember me, I, over and over again. But when he thinks he has years left, so he builds his barns. He says, ah, got it made now. I am going to enjoy the rest of my life. And look at Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He didn't say, what are you going to do? He said, didn't say, how are you going to face God? He said, those things that you stored up, all those barns, all that green, all that grain, all that money, whose will they be? You see, he could not add a single day to his life. Look at Luke 12, 25. He's referring back up to that as he speaks to the disciples about it. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That rich man couldn't add a single hour. God had given him all of his wealth. He was not an owner. He was only a steward. That's what all of us are. In the end, it had been God's all along. Whatever you have, God owns it. God owns it. And he'll pass it to whomever he wills. He was just a steward of what God had provided. And he had failed in every way. You want to move from this greed to this ownership, this ownership. To the anxiety of ownership, the the anxiety of will I have enough? You want to move from that to to generosity, to a calm confidence? Stop and think about his provision. It's God who provides. Secondly, second answer. He says that his kingdom is his most significant provision for us. If I were to ask you this morning, and I don't want you to give me a Sunday school answer. If I were, answer me honestly. If you were talking to a person tomorrow and you say, what, what's What's the greatest thing you have in your life? What's, what's the greatest thing that you own? What, what's the greatest thing that God has done for you? Talk about your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your home, your job. What would it be? Look at Luke 12, 29. And do not seek what you are to eat 
in what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that verse. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, don't make seeking food and drink and clothes and wealth and house and home and a wife and husband and children. What? Don't make that your first goal. Your first purpose should be to seek his kingdom. Matthew actually uses that word first. Matthew 6, 33 and his uh, telling of what Jesus was saying said, but seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, this is transforming. It really is. Instead of of making it your goal to, to have this amount of money or to have this house or this home or this many children or this husband or this wife or whatever it is, That, that that feeds the greed. Seek first the kingdom of God. Have a holy passion for his kingdom. Now what does it mean to seek his kingdom? Does it mean we quit work and go out on the hill and meditate? Does it mean we don't build a house for a family? Does it mean that food and clothes are not important? That's not what Jesus meant. In the rest of scripture, he told us to love our husbands, love our wives, build houses, build homes. He told us to cultivate the earth. He told us to enjoy the garden that he has given us. Jesus took time to enjoy the food and the wine. He took time to go to the parties. Jesus was saying it's a matter of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, there's a difference also between saying, seek first his kingdom and seek only his kingdom. I've heard this preached so often where the, the minister made that mistake, the teacher made it, seek only his kingdom. That's not, that's not what Jesus said. He said, seek first my kingdom. Herman, do you veered? Uh, if you ever see a book written by him, he's a Dutch theologian, don't buy it. Uh, it's not because he wasn't a good theologian. Uh, I went back, I was thinking about him and about this message, and I went back and, and revisited some of the things that I had read uh, that he had written and that people had written about him. And I was reminded of it's just deep, really, really deep. But he said that our lives are divided into spheres. Our lives are divided into different spheres. There's a, the sphere of the political, the sphere of the vocational, the sphere of family, the sphere of education. You get what I'm talking about. Uh 
my life is, is divided into the sphere of my family, my vocational world, my inner world, my financial world. There's all these fears in our lives. Now, Jesus is not saying, here's the sphere of the kingdom of God. With all these other spheres going on in your life. Here's the sphere of the kingdom of God. Seek him first. Seek that sphere first. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is what do you veered understood. He's staying in each individual sphere in your life, in your family life, in your athletic life, in your education, in your marriage. In your vocation, wherever wherever you are, in any one of those spheres, you seek his kingdom first. That's what he was saying. See, we want to say, I've got this sphere and this sphere and this sphere and this sphere going on. And here's and I'm seeking his kingdom first. But then we work every day to keep Jesus Christ out of these other spheres. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus was saying. Whether you're at work, whether you're on the athletic field, whether you're in church, wherever you are, you seek my kingdom first. That's my greatest provision. Why should I do that? Jesus said, don't you understand? That's my greatest provision. That little verse, little, do not be afraid, little flock. I, I really hadn't seen that in this life until I came to this message. I had this message written, prepared all week long. And I had to sit down yesterday and completely rewrite it because I kept seeing what I hadn't seen previously. The Father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Have you ever wanted to give, you know, you've not just a regular gift to your wife or a regular gift to your children. Have you ever given someone a gift and, and it was really, really, Really costly. And what did you do? You you let the person know there was a passion that went into this gift. And of all those things, he's saying, disciples, don't worry about how much money you have. Don't worry about your house. Don't worry about your home. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. This gift. And it's the greatest gift ever. It's my kingdom. That's what he's saying. Is that the way you look at his kingdom? Is that the way you look at Jesus? Some of you are appraisers. Some of you are appraisers in this room. You appraise property or houses. What value do you put on the kingdom? That's what this is. What praise do you have? Is it first? So what is it that's so great about the kingdom? In this kingdom, every day, 
Every day. You get up in this kingdom and say, this is a day the Lord made. The Lord made this day. The Lord gave me this day. Every second. I, I didn't earn this. I didn't work for it. Every moment that I have, tomorrow morning, if we get up, this is to be in his kingdom. Do you think that's what the world gets up and says every morning? No. But if you're in his kingdom, you do. This is the day the Lord's made. Every second. It means that, that every day your life has meaning, real meaning, real purpose. It means that you have a personal relationship with the creator. You have a personal relationship with this God who created you and sustained you and redeemed you. You have a talking relationship with him. He speaks to you and you speak to him. It means that when you die and stand before God's holy, just, and all-knowing judgment, it means that he will declare you not guilty. Not because you've been good, but because Jesus, his own son, has died. It means that when tragedy, hardship, darkness strikes your life, this sovereign God has promised he's come to you and he said, John Sartell, and he says your name, I will use this for good in your life because you love me. You've been called according to my purpose. In this kingdom, he has a special regard for our children because of our intimate relationship with him. It means that we can say in the face of death, do your best. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the kingdom. God saying, little flock, this is the best gift. Here's my kingdom, and it's for you. And he adds this, and I love this. Look back at verse 31. He says, seek his kingdom, and he means first. And then he says, then these things will be added to you. All these things, the clothes, the houses, whatever, food, all those things will be added to you. Worry about first things first. The kingdom. Well, Father, how can I know all these things will be added? How can I know that I'm going to have this? How can I know that I'm going to get through the next few months? How am I, how, I've lost my job. How do I know I'm going to get through this? There's a gospel logic in this answer. When he says, the greatest, my greatest provision is my kingdom, there's a gospel logic there. What is the centerpiece in the kingdom? A savior, a redeemer. Dying on the cross for our sins. That's a center place. Who's this Savior? He's the Son of God. Well, why would God do that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul understood. Memorize this verse. Put it up where you can see it. If you're a sad sack, if, if, if you think 
that you're in just the worst place you could be? It's just so dark. Look at Romans 8.32. Here's the gospel logic. He who did not spare his own son, he didn't spare Jesus. To give us the kingdom, it cost him his son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you seriously think he's not going to put food before you if he gave your son to die for? I heard a testimony. A woman stood to give her testimony in a suburban church where there was a lot of wealth. And she said this, for a long time it bothered me to come to church. I was painfully aware that everyone was dressed better than I. You did not make me feel this way, she said at the congregation. You've been gracious and kind to me but I was still ashamed of my clothes. Then one day I read the Bible where God said not to worry about my clothes, said he would clothe me. I prayed and asked God, why he didn't give me better clothes? He reminded me that I was dressed much better than a lot of other folks in the world. Then he said, Bessie, don't you know you're dressed in the wardrobe that Jesus bought you at Calvary? That's the kingdom. Dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Here's the logic. If God cares... He's a God of great detail and he cares about the extreme. He cares to the extreme that he sacrificed his own son. <laughs> Do you really think he's not going to provide? A minister announced that he would be preaching the next, that Sunday evening on the love of God. And the congregation gathered and the room was left, the, the, the room was left dimly lit, kind of dark. And he came in, the priest came in, didn't say anything, he lit a candle. And he, he went to the crucifix and he held the candle so that you could see the crown of thorns. And then he moved the candle to the two ends of the cross. Said nothing.
And then he moved the candle to the feet, nailed to the cross. And he blew out the candle and walked away. It's the height, the width, the depth of the love of God. How do you measure the love of God this morning? You say, he, he loved me so much, he gave me my job, he gave me my wife, he gave me my children, he gave me a wonderful house, he gave me more money than most people have. If you say that, you've missed it. You did not see his greatest gift. The best thing to be able to say when you come to die, to put it in your will. Children, I've left you some stuff in my will, but the best I can leave you is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. All the stuff does not matter if you don't have him. And by the way, when you have him, you have the best that heaven can give and all the other stuff will come along. So what's it going to be? The anxiety of worry or the calm of faith? Run after the bigger barns first and you will have the anxiety of worry. Seek his kingdom first, and you will have the calm of faith. Now let's sing that message as we sing that early American hymn, How Firm a Foundation. We usually don't sing all the verses of this hymn, but we are this morning. We need to hear them.